This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome back to the Oak Road Hats Podcast. I am Billy Mully and today I'm joined by Stephen Day and Ollie Kay. The rhyming duo are back. Uh, we've mentioned it before. I didn't even know that going into it, uh, so, so that surprised me. But we're here, the three of us, talking about a Luton fixture. It's been a while since we've had to talk about a result. Of course, the Hats has played out a 2-1 defeat in the end against Middlesbrough in what was Rob Edwards' first game in charge we'll also speak about the three polls we put out we've put three questions out you've answered them and we'll go through them and then we'll end with Millwall at home of course a Sunday morning kickoff which is a little bit strange for us Luton fans for for any football fans in fact talking about a morning kickoff first of all before we get all into it Ollie how are you getting on today yeah, I'm doing very well, thanks. Um, had a sort of extended snow day, had my daughter eat some snow. It's all fun and games. Um, I love the I love the intro rhyme as well. You know, I didn't even think about the day K rhyming couplets, so that's lovely. And what about you, Steve? Now you're getting on today. Not too bad. A lot of my work has been outside, so quite cold, but yeah, it's all good. We've got the World Cup in the background as well. Could have been so different, couldn't it? It could have been completely different. We wouldn't have been recording at this time. We would uh, all be watching England versus Morocco. It should have been England versus Morocco, but that means all eyes go back on to Luton. We'll, we'll speak today about Middlesbrough, as I said in the intro, and, and I guess the first place to start is the the starting 11 it was the same starting 11 that started um the 
game previous, showing that, that there might not be too many changes. Um, but but I just want to gauge from you two, were there any noticeable differences from, from the way we seemingly operated in the first half under under Rob Edwards? Uh, yeah, only in the first half that I could see. Um, we weren't really doing anything spectacular in the second half. Um, first half, I, I wrote uh, some observations about it. I noticed our play was very slick, uh, especially for the first 35 minutes. Um, we were sort of progressing the ball up the pitch, similar to Coventry. Uh, I, I, might, I might have even mention that in my, in my observations post. Um which is really nice, and it's how I'd like to see us progressing the ball up the pitch. Um, but then we sort of let Middlesbrough back into the game, and and then it just looked same old, same old. Uh, and obviously, we're, we're we're down to not even bare bones. We were down to bare bones. We're we're sort of at the skeletal system now um, for defence. I don't know what we're going to do now that Bell's missing the next game. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely an interesting situation with Bell. Um, seemingly, as you say, our bare bones, even without having um, our, our left back that's playing in a central defensive role out. It's um, a situation that's happened too often, I have to say, that, that we've had to dip into sort of the fullback area to, to play central, uh, to play at centre back. It's not a situation you want to be happening too often in a season, but unfortunately for us, it keeps on happening. Of course, January will be a opportunity to address that. Stephen, I'll, I'll come to you. You caught the second half. Probably wasn't. If you had a selection of the two after to watch, you probably would have uh, wanted to watch the first. You've seen uh, two goals conceded uh, without reply. Was it two goals? No, one goal. One goal because it was one all. At I, I did manage to catch five minutes of the. Uh the end of the first half. Well, I, I, I caught the goal basically as I was walking in the door. So, um, yeah, I did catch both Middlesbrough goals. Oh, lucky yeah, you. Maybe, maybe not the good luck, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so just looking at what you've seen, Stephen, of course, it wasn't ideal, but was there any changes that, that you noticed or was it something that, um, you know, is it too, is it, we still in the infancy of this Rob Edwards era, so we can't really draw too many conclusions or, or many observations. I think, yeah, I, I didn't notice any real uh, noticeable changes. Um, it was, it did feel quite similar to, you know, how I guess the, like, the last few seasons have felt. I, there, there wasn't a, a drastic change in the way we played and um, it just felt like one of those games obviously from what I got to see that we were almost, especially once the second half started, that we were kind of destined to lose. We just weren't, wasn't enough going on. It wasn't enough like guile from the team. I wouldn't put it down to anything dramatic. Like I wouldn't say it's, you know, Rob Edwards, I wouldn't say the players weren't in it. It just was, it looked like one of those days where it just wasn't going to go right for us. And, you know, it was quite disappointing, but I thought we could have got a point out of it. But then once Bell got that second yellow card, um, it you could kind of tell that we were going to concede again, um, which was very frustrating. But at the same time, I kind of expected it once he got sent off. So um, 
yeah, frustrating, but I didn't notice any change. Notice any big changes. I just wish there would have been a little bit more discipline from Bell, um, especially considering the, the position we're in with our defence. Um, so yeah, it's just yeah. I think given time, we'll notice more changes. But at the same time, I think um, Edward said that it's not going to be like a a massive shift to how we played with Jones. So um, yeah. I can't say that there will be many changes at all. If I if I may just piggyback on what Stephen was saying, um, when Amari Bell got booked, he got booked really early. Uh, just checking it out, twenty fifth minute. I said to my dad, uh, he's he's not going to last the full game. He was he was up against uh, Isaiah Jones, and Isaiah Jones was phenomenal. I I sort of had uh, Jones pegged as a um, as a fullback, like uh, maybe maybe sort of an attacking wingback, but under Carrick, he sort of moved into um, an inside forward position, and he he caused us so so much grief for for the entire game. Um, so I knew I knew Bell was going to be sent off, um, and other than those opening thirty five minutes where I saw the possession stats, uh, which I was checking during the game. We actually were edging possession for the first thirty minutes. Um, after after we scored, we pretty much went back on went back into our shells, and um, you know for the first thirty minutes, I was thinking, oh, you know this is refreshing football under Rob Edwards. Um, but then, yeah, we as I said, we went back into our shelves, and it was more, it was more um, classic Nathan Jones. Hoofball, uh, sure, it was effective, but that's pretty much how it was. And the underlying stats, um, their expected goal was 1.69 to our 0.23. Um, they had 17 shots, three on target. We had three shots, one on target. So it really, <clears throat> it really wasn't a, a fun game to watch. And I feel bad for Stephen having only watched the second half because it was a painful watch. painful day for us Luton fans um, especially English supporting Luton fans obviously having to watch England lose in the quarterfinals as well what a painful day um, and, and just looking uh, just again coming to you Ollie I think one thing that we're expecting to see is us remaining as a, a team that presses high and, and forces mistakes and Again, I'm going to look into the first half just because there, there was sort of a lot more positivity about that first half. Did it seem that, that we were as um, as dangerous as a pressing side during the first half? Were we closing down and, and were we getting our rewards for that uh, with that as well? Yeah, the press, the press was good throughout the game. Um, it was just Middlesbrough were very good at playing through the press. Um, one... One good part of our pressing play came in the second half um, where the ball was played back to uh, the borough keeper, I think, Stefan. And he, he was very relaxed with the ball. And uh, Simon Pitts even was commenting um, about how laid back he was. And Alan Campbell charged him down. And the ball, like on another day, the ball could have gone into the nets. Um um, but that that was just our pressing play. 
Um, other than that, it felt as if our forward line didn't entirely know where they should be pressing and what they should be doing all the time. Um, we'd see Morris drop off. We'd see Campbell pressing beyond uh, Adebayo and Morris. Um, I think it's a work in progress, really. Um, I think it's going to be a case of um, stay with what we have, uh, what with what we had uh, under Nathan Jones, and then build the the sort of premium add-ons, the the, the more possession, the, uh, the the pressing in the way that Richie Kyle wants to do as an out of possession specialist. Um, we we just got to keep them, keep the faith, wait, watch, and uh, hope that we see a bit more as um, Edwards, Kyle, and Trollope have a bit more time with the with the players, really. But there was nothing completely inspiring from that first game out uh, outside of the first thirty minutes. Right, Stephen, let's get this back on a positive note. Let's talk Jordan Clark, best free agent signing in the uh, in football history, according to, to Nathan Jones. So um, it's no surprise when he puts it through someone's leg, shimmies to the left and, and unleashes an effort past a goalkeeper who's, you know, one of the better shot stoppers in the division. It's just what you expect from those kind of players. Look, I don't understand the argument of... Messi v Ronaldo it should be Messi v Jordan Clark, and you know he, he gives him a run for his money. And it was, uh, yeah, I think it was nice to see a, a player bring out like a a moment of brilliance like that. And because I think a lot of the time we we're you know very hard working side, uh, we you know grind for the win. It's not it doesn't feel too often that we'll see a massive amount of flair or, you know, that flair resulting in a goal. Um, it seems like we, you know, get goals from, you know, hardworking positions. Like, you know, we, we really work for it. And um, whereas not saying, you know, you don't deserve to score a, a nice goal like Jordan Clark did, but, you know, it's not often we see that. And it's, I think it would be quite nice um, if there is a, you know, a bit of a change where players are allowed a bit more creative freedom and, yeah, it's and it was just you know wonderful to see Jordan Clark get a goal like that because you know if he can carry on that sort of play going forward, he could you know it could be really beneficial to us. And of course, Luke Walsh, a writer, Oak Road Hatter, um, he wasn't too happy with the fact that Botafogo didn't come to Kenilworth Road. He was um, disappointed, didn't get to see the, the Brazilian flair. Well, Jordan Clark brought that to, to Riverside Stadium. It's great to see. Love Jordan Clark. He's had to play in so many different positions, but he has found his home pretty much now as a central midfielder. And um, yeah, strikes like that, um, the movement as well, just to, to poke it through. Someone like Johnny Halson's leg, skip past Hayden Hackney, one of the, the most exciting midfielders in the division at the moment. And and to, to put it away like that, Jordan Clark, that is why we love you at Lewin Town. We'll, we'll go on now to the Amari Bell red card because, of course, it leaves us in a difficult situation. We'll, we'll speak in a little bit uh, when we come on to the Millwall game about what that could mean. But first of all, looking at looking at both challenges, 
I'll start with you, Stephen. Do you do you think they were um, do you think they warranted a red card? I didn't see the first one, um, but I think knowing that he was on the second yellow or on a, on a yellow, there was that worry that he was going to get a second yellow, and I think. I think I was surprised that he actually hadn't been sent off earlier because I think there was a few challenges that um, I was thinking, why are you doing that? You're on you're on a yellow card. Why are you doing that? Um, so I think that's you know hopefully a learning curve for um, Rob Edwards. And I mean I I had nothing to complain about. My only complaint was why isn't he more like why wasn't there more discipline from him or why wasn't he taken off? Um, and it just you know I think we could have grafted for a draw with 11 men on the pitch but you know Bell got sent off and we ended up conceding and it's you know frustrating but I've got no complaints because of no complaints about the actual cards they received because I think he easily could have been sent off earlier. And Oli when when we consider Amari Bell um, we we always know him this this left wing back that that caused problems last season, but then when we signed Alfie Dowerty, there was this feeling. I think Nathan Jones made some comments that suggested that he could be deployed on the left side of a back three. He's played there on a couple of occasions. What do you think? Do you think that's a role that he could play in a bit further, or are you a little bit worried when he goes and, and steps into that role? Does that highlight that that need that we keep talking about for for another centre back to come in? No, we, we need another centre-back, desperately. Another left-sided centre-back. Sometimes the transition from left wing-back or left full-back works uh, in the case of Dan Potts, because Dan Potts was never good going forward. So he's transitioned into a left-sided centre-back where he's not expected to progress beyond the halfway line. It works for Dan Potts. For Amari Bell, he is phenomenal going forward. He's got all the attributes you want um his crossing isn't the best but he can dribble he can drive into the box he can arrive late in the box and have have a little go on target as well um he doesn't convince me at left center back uh in particular um i was at the watford game uh behind the goal and i was sort of towards the left hand side so i was like directly behind amari bell and his positioning for a left centre-back position, just simply isn't good enough. He's decent enough in the air, but he's not one of these absolute man mountains that you want at centre-back. He's good with the ball at his feet, which uh, if you're looking to play out of defence, that's that's ideal. Um, but no, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that we need one, uh, at, the mi- at the minimum one, uh, but two or three defenders because our uh, injury uh, our, our physio rooms really getting cluttered at the moment as just defenders um, so we really need to work on that and then looking at the forward line it was Adebayo and Morris again um, again don't know how much we can read into that going into the future we don't know if that was a particular setup for Middlesbrough do you think that's the right combination going forward, you two? Do you think Morris and Adebayo, two strikers that are similar-ish in profile, do you think though that, that sort of bullying the defence is the way to go forward? And do you think that's the way we will go forward under under Rob Edwards? Um, I, 
I don't see it as the way we will go forward, but at the same time, it's going to be hard to have a favourite out of the two. And, you know, it's, it's a privilege for a manager to have two brilliant strikers like that. Um, but I, I mean, I don't know enough about how Rob Edwards actually, you know, plays his teams, but I think it's, there's, there's a part of me that feels like there's almost a bit of like, we have a bit of a weak influence in games when both of them play. Um, but at the same time, they could easily form a, a really good partnership and then play off of each other. But I don't, there's a part of me that just, you know, from what I've seen this season, it feels as if like they don't play off of each other too well. And whether Edwards can form something there, that would be brilliant. And it's just, for me, I don't particularly see it working out that way, but could be proven wrong. Yeah, I, I have very strong feelings about having them both playing up top together. Because um, I, I feel their attributes are very strong and I feel they are amongst the two best strikers in the division. They're certainly in the top 10. Um, considering Adebayo's uh, performance last season, it, it certainly wasn't a flash in the pan. I think he's he's come into this season injured and Morris has shown us what he can do. Um, I completely agree with you saying that they should be playing off each other. One of the things that are we are we allowed to swear on the pod? Like I'm, I'm quite new. Do I do we swear? Yeah. We do it swear. It depends what level. I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay. One one thing that kind of just pisses me off about how how we play up top with with a two, and I'm I'm going to use hand gestures here because. Like, I know it's not a recorded with, with video or anything. Um, when you're playing a two up top, you want the two strikers as close to each other. You, To, to quote Ian Wright, you, a striker has to be within the width of the goalpost to score. Um, and when you have two up top together, you want them playing as close to each other so they can essentially dovetail. When you play a 10, the 10 will run in between them and I noticed that if in the last game Alan Campbell playing as the 10 he would run straight through the middle of the two of them and then sort of bend off to try and stay on side and look I, I'm not I'm not a UEFA accredited coach I, I'm very keen on football manager not that I get much of a chance to play it these days but you want your strikers to be the one the ones to score the goals and not your 10. You want your 10 to be a creator, but you, you want them to be able to chip in with goals, but your strikers are meant to be your primary ones. And if, if we go back to looking at Rob Edwards, um, Forest Green team, his strikers, he, he had the top scorer in the division in Matthew Stevens. And then he had um, third or fourth highest scorer, Jamil Matt, his two strikers. And he got that by, one, lots of crosses into the box. Two, having his strikers playing really close to each other. So any flick-ons, any drop-downs, any knockdowns, the partner was there. And it was a case, if you look at highlights from that year, uh, which I have done because I, I, I love knowing what, um, what 
our manager may potentially do, although you can't really directly compare League Two to Championship football. Um, if Matthew Stevens or Jamil Matt had a shot on target and it got blocked, the other would be there to sort of finish it off, challenge for the second ball. And when, when your striker's out on the wing or drop deep into midfield because someone's made an underlapping run um, which has occupied their space, you simply you simply can't get your two strikers close to each other because you've got a 10 in the way or you just have another player that's occupying where your striker should be. So yeah, I do believe that they can play together and I feel if 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 done correctly it will be phenomenal it really will i think yeah i agree with that as well because i think what i've seen a lot with nathan jones football is the strikers you know i remember james collins being out on the wing often enough like when we were on an, on an attack or you know you get our strikers trying to create at the same time as trying to be goal scorers. And I I enjoy Adebayo and Carlton Morris on the ball. They're both brilliant. They can both beat men like quite easily. But I get quite frustrated seeing Carlton Morris out on the wing next to whoever else is on the wing. And when he should be in the box trying to score, it's, I think I was getting frustrated with that on, on Saturday as well. Cause I was like thinking like, you want Morris in the box, like Morris, get in the box so that you can score. We want you in the box. Like Jordan Clark can win headers, but like you know, it's kind of unlikely, especially against Middlesbrough. And Adebayo is not going to be the only like you know, you can't just rely on him or vice versa. If Adebayo is outside the box, you can't just rely on Morris. It's yeah. So I think if they play together, they they have to, you know, I hope anyway that they do play in the sort of way that Ollie's just described. They've got to be playing off of each other and, you know, close to each other. And if there's balls into the box or shots, they've both got to be either one of them taking the shot or getting on it. And because we've got two very good strikers that both should be scoring goals and both should be in the box trying to score goals. It does have that tendency, doesn't he, Morris, to drift off to left wing, um, he did do that a lot for, for Barnsley. He did play on, as a left winger for, for a while as well. And I do think it's happened. I, th- I think there has been bright moments that, that um, have pretty much been derived from when he's drifted out to the wing. Um, you, you think of Adebayo's goal against QPR, where he was on the left side and, and um, recovered the ball and, and then put across him for, for Adebayo. I do understand how it works. And I do understand in Morris's head how, how why that works. But more often than not, centralise your strikers, get them working together. And as, as Ollie says, got two, two of the most powerful strikers the division has seen in a while. Use them to their best effects. And, and those two together are a frightening prospect. Um, I, I, at the same time, I do have my concerns about having two similar profile strikers um, operating next to each other. But at the same time, I think there's good potential for it to work, especially having different kind of options like Corley Woodrow when he's fit somebody that's a little bit more creative uh, in the striker role. And then Harry Cornick as well, who just offers pace and direct running and, and sort of that relentlessness as well. So I do get it. Um, it's, 
I guess good options for for Edwards to have at this stage. Um, yeah, and I do get both arguments there. It's just um, it's finding that winning formula. It's difficult seeing two brilliant strikers at the same club and, and not um, scoring as many goals as as our forward options would suggest. That's uh, I think where we're we're currently at. We'll go on here. We've got three polls that we put out earlier today. Um, I guess the first one can tie in a little bit to, to what we've just been speaking about there. It's about Harry Cornick. Can you see Harry Cornick leaving in January? Before I go through the, the percentages, Ollie, Stephen, where's your head at? Have you I ever seen that? Uh, <laughs> no, I, I agree. He's a good squad player to have. Have you ever seen that Harry Enfield sketch where 1920s Arsenal take on 1990s Liverpool? Not no? Okay, I'm well, not Harry Enfield, but no, I'm not seeing no, no, I'll send you a link afterwards. It's hilarious because the, the 1920s Arsenal team, if you know the stereotype of 1920s football, there, there wasn't much skill involved. Anyway, so 1920s Arsenal have hotshot winger, Charles, Charlie, Charles, Charles, Charles Jr. And Charles, Charlie, Charles, Charles Jr.'s, uh, 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 Jr.'s skill. Uh, I suggest you all check it out, whoever's listening, because it's very funny. He has one move, this tricky winger. He cuts back uh, off the outside of his foot and sort of cuts it back in. And then he does the same thing on the other foot and then the other foot. So... He has one skill where he just knocks the ball back and forth to himself. That is essentially all Harry Cornick can do. <clears throat> he has he has come on leaps and bounds for for Luton Town since uh, since joining uh, when we we're in League Two. He's been great, but considering he was a winger, you'd expect him to have a few more tricks in his locker than just the outside of the foot cutback. <laughs> that's that's what I think about uh, Harry Cornick. He is great, though. He he tries hard. He his his finishing has improved a lot. Um, I think we have Graham Jones to thank for that. Um, I don't think he will be going anywhere because he, he signed a long term deal, um, maybe a season or two ago. Um, and we need we need the options from the bench as well, like an alternative because we have Cameron Jerome who's just a uh, an older version of Adebayo and uh, and Morris, um, in the sense that he's just a, a athletic um, unit up top that can win headers, whereas Harry Cornick is a a player that can run in behind. Not that we're playing many balls that go in behind, but if we can add that string to our bow, Harry Cornick's exactly the type of player that you want, doing those little runs in behind the defence. The reason the, the poll was put out is because through the grapevine, uh, Harry Cornick's contract is set to expire in the summer. So oh, really? in that respect, Luton will be faced with a decision. Do they take a cut price fee and potentially sell him to, to a championship rival? Of course, his pace offers a different kind of option, I think. You look at the championship. A lot of strikers, uh, a lot of clubs have strikers that you know are 
Colton Morris and Elijah Adebayo kind of build. They're, they're sort of more powerful and, and Cornick's pace and sort of direct running is, is more of a rare commodity. But they're also faced with decision uh, the, the potential blow that, that clubs from outside of England could agree a pre-contract um, arrangement, which, of course, um, is something that, that will be out of Luton control. Of course, contract talks will probably be ongoing at the moment, but... Yeah, it's it's in a situation where um, it's difficult to to fully assess where where his future lies. But I'm I'm in the camp where I do want him to to be a Luton player beyond this January transfer window and, and beyond the summer because I think he's still got so much to offer. And I think what he displayed next to Elijah Adebayo last year and and what he's displayed in sort of the brief moments he's got with Colton Morris is that he supports the play very well. And I do like the link up play when. A pacier striker is is deployed next to a, a taller, mm-hmm. um, more physical presence, and I think that's my basis for for wanting him to to remain at Kenilworth Road. Yeah, I, I think for me, I it, I wouldn't blame Harry Cornick for wanting a different challenge because he's been with us what since 2015, 2016. Um so I wouldn't blame him for wanting a new challenge. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to lose him. Um, and I think that he does almost have that feel about him that is like, um, you get those players in the Premier League that are like, um, you know, they've got so much potential, so much potential every year. It's like, you know, they've got so much potential to like grow and like, you know, get into, you know, their potential. And then you just keep saying that until they're like 26, 27, which is where we're at with Harry Cornick a little bit as well. Because I think we all thought he was going to be a lot not saying that he's bad but I think we all thought he would be probably a Premier League player because he had you know that pace and uh, in League 2 he was probably a little bit too good for League 2 um, but it feels like he hasn't you know fulfilled his full potential because we all thought he could have been scoring more because you know for years he didn't have shooting boots really he missed one-on-ones and it seems that he, you know as you said thanks to Graham Jones, he sort of fixed that problem. And, but I I really wouldn't want to lose him because even even if he's happy to like be on the bench, like he's so good to bring off on the bench if we're chasing a game, if we're, you know, drawing, it's he's someone that completely changes the the dynamic of the game later on. And so I think he's a really important player for us. And so yeah, I I really hope it doesn't go, but at the same time, Edwards might be playing a style that doesn't fit him, and they might not be, you know, asking him to stay. They might, or you know, I don't think Edwards would be unprofessional, like. But I think you know they'd be having talks saying that this is this is what's going to go on, and yeah. So, yeah, very up in the air with that. I, I was actually really shocked because I had a look and that contract extension he signed was in 2019, July 2019. So, yeah, he would be most likely coming to the end of his agreement. That's quite shocking how time flies. Crazy, crazy. We'll go on to the, the second poll here. Um, of course, we'll, we'll fly through these because um, we don't know too much about January transfer plans at the moment. But what, what we can question is, is will we use the loan market? And that's what we 
asked and, and just going into the numbers before I get the, the points of view from, from you two. Um, it would help if I had it readily available, but that would require me being organised. For that question, we had um, yes was 65% to, to Will Luton use the Premier League loan market in January with 35% at no. Again, you get both sides of the coin. You do understand that that we've gone through, a, a, you know, we've been successful by not using the loan market. But given the current circumstances, given where we are at with our defensive issues, it would be no surprise to me if, if we do delve into the, the central defensive loan market. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's the same with you two. Yeah, I I hope we do because I think we should have been doing that anyway. I understand Jones' reasons for not doing it, but at the same time, I don't. I, there's absolutely no reason to not bolster the squad with players that can slot in, can you know be useful for you know ten games, even in like you know a four month period or like you know a twenty game period, whatever. And there's absolutely no reason not to, and because I don't, I personally don't view it as developing other teams' players. I think it's you're making sure you have the strength to go on in an injury crisis, which, you know, we've seen happen a fair amount. So I think, I, I, I hope that Edwards is a sort of person that would look to make the most of it because we need to. And it would be a nice change from, you know, the way that Jones operated. And yeah, and I think there's there's got to be players that are going to be useful for us as well. And, you know, there's, I just believe there's absolutely no reason not to. And I hope Edwards is the sort of um, manager that does. And I think Ollie, with the research that he's done, he probably knows how many um, loan players Forrest Green used. So, yeah, I'll, I'll give it. I'll give the floor to Ollie now. No, I, I don't know uh, how many loan players Forrest Green used. Um um, but I, I do think that we need to use the loan market. You just look across the division, um, Birmingham especially, two of their back three are in on loan. Um, one that has especially uh, impressed me so far is, uh, I think it's Austin, Austin Trusty, the USA defender uh, on loan from Arsenal. He's been He's been sublime for Birmingham. And uh, they're using loans to paper over the cracks and deficiencies in their squad. Um, three of their midfield five as well are in on loan. Um, and um, I refer to an article that was written by Billy uh, for Oak Road Hatter. And he highlighted two potential candidates uh, that we could bring in in, in central defence. Uh, Bashir Humphreys and uh, Aaron Cashin and I think these are two sensible options um, Jones, Nathan Jones's outlook on uh, loan signings was very short-sighted um, whereby oh if we cannot sign them permanently there is no point um, because loan signings especially from the Premier League can take you to that next level. We saw that with Keenan Dewsbury Hall. He took a a team that had finished 
19th and and stayed in the division by the skin of their teeth the season before took them to 12th and uh if you look at our incomings and outgoings that season we pretty much were uh the same team uh we didn't make any incomings until until january when we brought in Adebayo. um and sure our points per game went up significantly once we actually um brought Adebayo in as a starter because um, James Collins just wasn't cutting it anymore. But that shows the impact that a Premier League loan, especially when done correctly, can have on your team. It's sim- simply simple as that. Yeah, I do. I think we're all in agreement now that, that a Premier League loan move does seem appealing, does seem um, that it's probably best thing to do in in amidst this defensive crisis we do find ourselves in. The third and final poll was how many points do you think Luton will take from the next four games? And just to run through them, of course, it's Millwall at home on Sunday. We've got Norwich at home on Boxing Day. We've got QPR away on the 29th with that awful kickoff time. And then we've got Huddersfield away for New Year's Day, which um, I guess is, is a Crazy run of fixtures. Um, of course, it's the championship. It wouldn't be any other way. You've got QPR away, a place that we don't like to go out and, and win games. Um, Millwall Holmes always proven to be tough. Norwich, another another team that are performing well at the top of the division. Um, and then we've got Huddersfield away, which um, we'll want to be putting right after um, losing out the, the playoff semi-final there last time out. We'll, I'll quickly run through the numbers we've got. Zero to three points, we've got 23%. We've got four to six points and gone for 47%. And there's the 30% at seven to nine. No one went with the full house ambitious answer of 10 to 12. Um, yeah, so I think that that sort of explains and, and shows it's going to be a difficult period. Um, of course, starting the Rob Edwards era with Middlesbrough away we was tough enough and, and these fixtures look to follow on that trend, but but whereabouts are you two? Starting with you, Ollie. Um, just remind me, am I allowed to swear on the pod? Yeah, yeah, again, yeah, you, okay. gave it, um, you gave it before. And, um, it, it was oh, yeah, hard. yeah, but I only, I only said the word pissed. I didn't drop, like, anything serious. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're playing Millwall at home, and um, we have two fit centre-backs, our backup, backup left centre-back isn't available. And we're going to be going up against Millwall, who um, are solid from set pieces. And they have Jake Hooper, who is like 80% neck. We are fucks. Um, we're going to concede at least three set pieces. I can guarantee it. Um, it's not looking good. And it's not like having Amari Bell would, would even save us because Millwall are such an aerial dominant team. And we just don't have centre-backs. We we need centre-backs. So I actually voted for four to six points in that poll. I believe I was being overly optimistic there. Um, I don't like being pessimistic, but those those are tricky games. Those are really tricky games, and we're just going to be limping over 
to the to the January transfer window where we can hopefully sign Porteous or bring in some youth loans from the Premier League. It's it's just a case of hopefully we get one win and a draw and then lose the other two. I don't care who we win, who we draw against, or who we lose against. Um, there, actually, no, I'd like to do the double over QPR because they're they're so smug that those QPR fans. Um, um, if if we could do Millwall and QPR, well, I don't think we have a chance against Millwall. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to be pessimistic, but that's how I feel. We're 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 screwed right now in terms of. Like who who are we gonna put in defense? Seriously, who who's gonna line up in the in a three man back line? I can't think of anyone. Rob Edwards. Oh, Rob. Yeah, perfect. It's like when we uh, when we had that massive injury crisis in nineteen ninety seven, and we put Trevor Peak, our physio, um, played Trevor Peak as a as a defender. He was only forty one, if memory serves. Um. Yeah, you think we had you have an injury crisis now? Like it was bad in the nineties when you have to play your physio. <laughs> Stephen, what about you then? Where where would your money go? Um, I my instinct tells me four points. Um, I'm. It's not that I'm feeling like very pessimistic it's just i think we're in a transition period and i don't think it's gonna uh, be a quick transition i think it's going to be a slow transition but it's going to be a good build so i think it's going to take a little while obviously ollie's touched on the injury crisis um hopefully we don't get a point to where we have to put um who is our physio like Simon Parcel or something? Simon Parcel, like sixty-five-year-old Simon Parcel. That that's a step worse than having forty-two-year-old Trevor Peak, who actually was a defender. He was a professional player that played for Luton in the eighties. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I'm hoping we don't get to that point, um, but I think it's going to be. It's going to be a, a a slow transition, and I think we're going to max get four points, maybe a point off of Millwall and three points against Huddersfield. Um, but knowing Luton, it will be a win against Norwich and a draw against QPR and then loss against Millwall and Huddersfield. You can't predict with this Luton team. Here's a question for you both. Last year, we had the, the goalkeeping situation that we had to get an emergency loan goalkeeper. Can we get an emergency loan goalkeeper again and then play him as a centre-back? <laughs> <laughs> now, you can get an emergency loan defender if you're down to one uh, one fit defender. We're almost there. We are almost there. Um, there are grounds for well, emergency loans. I mean... Yeah, but I mean, we've got James Bree, Alfie Doherty, or, or Doughty, and whoever else is fit. I don't think we're down to one yet. Yeah, well, Lockyer yeah. is like a one-man uh, wall. Yeah. Yeah, it's a definitely a difficult situation. Um, we're going to go on to Millwall now. We've spoken a lot already about them, but but looking at how they've restarted the season, of course, they've played a game more than everybody else. They, they restarted the campaign with a 3-0 loss at Sunderland, 
drew one all with Wigan. So looking at that, Ollie, do you see it as a good time to play them? A good time to no. try and capitalise on that that rather dodgy form? No, it's not a good time to play them. Um, they have Zian Fleming, who's phenomenal. Nine goals this season from midfield, from 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 a 10 position. That's how you want to do it. Um, like he has Bradshaw in front of him, and, and he, he's been popping up with nine goals. And they're all absolute long-range, long-range, amazing goals. I was going to say shit pingers. Uh, that that's probably um, a more accurate description. Um, he'll go down as signing of the season, like uh, even more so than anyone the Burnley signs. Um, he's been very dangerous, and because of Luton's proclivity for not closing down players on the edge of the box. I really think Zian Fleming will uh, will punish us throughout the game. I'm not looking forward to it. And I, I touched upon earlier um, Millwall with their set pieces. Essentially, uh, I'm unable to go to the game. I've already done the buyback for my season ticket. Um, and I'm happy I'm not going to go because I know that I would be leaving disappointed if Luton somehow managed to win. Fair play to the team. Um, everyone can rub my face in it. I don't mind, but I'm, I'm bricking it. I'm bricking it, and I'll be watching in in a corner of the room at this uh, at this birthday party that I have to go to. And and Stephen, just um, just looking at Millwall a little bit further. Of course, they don't have Jed Wallace this time around, which um, is one benefit from this game this time around. But as, as Ollie alluded to there, they've got Zian Flamin, who's, who looks very, very dangerous. They've got Callum Styles that they brought in, George Honeyman. Do you expect it to be a tougher test than it was last year? Um, they're floating around with playoff positions. Do you expect them to, to be uh, stronger opponents than, than when they went uh, came to Kenilworth Road in, in April? I think they're always going to be strong opponents and our form against them doesn't really uh isn't isn't ever really great. Obviously that 2-0 away win last season was brilliant um but I think our home form I don't think we've beaten them at home for years and years. So um yeah, it's I'm I'm not optimistic. But I wouldn't say I'm as pessimistic as Ollie. Um, but I think they're always going to be a tough test at home, regardless of who they have, how they're playing. Because um, it's always a tasty match. It, it can be a bit boring, but you know I think we, we match each other quite well. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it's going to be a very tough test for, for both teams, not just us, but for like both teams. I do agree yeah, with that. It's going to be yeah. two very workmanlike teams going up against each other. Um, I agree. We'll go on to score predictions now. Um, I can sort of see how this one's going to go. Um, again, it seems like twice, twice in a row after all these episodes of being the negative one, being the pessimist, it seems like the roles have reversed, and I don't know what's happened. I really can't put my finger on it. But but Ollie, 
we'll hear from you first. We'll hear your pessimistic answer and we'll try and build ourselves up. Okay. Um, I'll go for a very optimistic 1-1 draw. Um, it's going to be a, uh, as Stephen said, it's going to be very workmanlike and uh, we, we could we could do it. I mean, I'm pretty sure you were saying about 10 minutes ago that one of the middle players is going to score three goals. Or it was an optimistic. So, uh, it, was not, it was very optimistic. The 1-1 is uh, surprised me. Yeah, my, my instinct is like nil-nil. Oh, that's very optimistic. I will take a clean sheet. I will take a clean sheet, <laughs> definitely. 100% that would be, be Christmas come early. I'm going to go for a goal fest. And of course, when I predict a goal fest, it does not happen. And I would take seeing a boring nil-nil if it meant that we kept a clean sheet in this, missed this sort of adversity we, we find ourselves in. I'm going to go for 3-2 Luton and I'm going to be overjoyed by the fact that I'll be back at Kenilworth Road. I cannot wait after watching all this World Cup. Yeah. See, for me, I'm just like, it's 11, 11.30 kickoff, which like must be one of the first AM kickoffs for a, for a league football match in years, um, if not one of the only ones. Um, it's against Millwall, it's on Sky, and it's on a Sunday. It's just got nil-nil no shots on target written all over it. Uh, like, why haven't I they moved? Really the, hope you both. Why haven't they moved the the kickoff back to where it should have been? Because I, I would have been able to have gone in that case. Like eleven thirty. What what were they thinking? Putting it at eleven thirty a.m. I'm shaking my head right now. <laughs> An absolute first, I think. But anyway, thank you both for joining today. Thank you for the continued listeners. It's great to see so many people having us as their number one listen podcast through Spotify. As we say, it's a Sunday morning kickoff, so just be aware of that. And uh, it'll be a nice Sunday morning stroll to Kenilworth Road, I am sure. But until then, it is goodbye from us. TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.